Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Jimmy Smith and The Cat, one of my all-time favourite tracks. A great way to start the programme here on Jazz FM. This is, of course, Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, every Saturday morning from 9 till 10. You can catch an edition of Jazz Shapers, the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, soul and blues, alongside their equivalents in the world of business. My business shaper today is none other than Carol Stone, officially the queen of networking and lots of other things as well. The queen of networking in the UK and beyond. You'll be hearing lots from Carol very shortly. In addition to hearing from her, you will also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, if you can take it, you will also be getting some brilliant music from the shapers of jazz, soul and blues, including Dinah Washington, B.B. King and this from Derek Hodge here on Jazz FM. That was Derek Hodge and The Real, and he is, of course, the backing bassist for the Robert Glasper experiment. He'll be appearing live at the Love Supreme Festival coming up this summer. Carol Stone is my business shaper today, and if you haven't heard of Carol, you will know lots about her before 10 o'clock is up. She formed the Stone Club in 2009, a private members club we'll be talking about. She was the managing director of YouGov Stone, a joint venture, and before that spent almost, I believe, 28 years at the BBC in various guises. Is known really, though, in the world for being an amazingly connected um, woman. Carol, thank you very much for joining me. Glad to be here. Now, you were an employee for many, many, many years. What made you think about life differently and tread another path? Well, we called it SNF, Staff No Fee, at the BBC where I was for, just as you say, just over 27 years. And uh, I haven't ever really planned or rooted my career at all or even thought of it as a career but things um, my mother gave me some advice when I first really started working and particularly when I first started working at the BBC as a what they called a copy taker taking down the news in the Southampton BBC newsroom and uh, she said whatever you do take an interest in that and other things surrounding it and if you never move forward you will always enjoy what you do so take an interest and it was really taking an interest looking sideways at things and seeing what other other people were doing within my line of business that made me curious and I think it was curiosity that made me start a lot of other things and after 27 years at the BBC I asked if I could do a pilot program like a Gloria Hunderford show or an Opera Winfrey with an audience and actually doing my own chat show and they let me do it it was called The Age I Was Then Facing 50 and it went very well indeed I interviewed Geoffrey Arch I interviewed uh, Jilly Cooper and Audrey Eiton who'd written The F Plan Diet I interviewed people talking to the audience it went really really well everybody thought I was going to have my own show including me I left the BBC and then what nothing 
I did a little bit of daytime television, but nobody ever asked me to do another show with an audience. I probably didn't push enough. You never know how much to push the barrier. I sent the tape round to one or two people. And that first year of leaving the BBC, I earned two and a half thousand pounds. How did you survive that? Did you have money in the bank? Uh, I had, uh, I was, I left the BBC and I was able to take my pension early so I and I took a little lump sum so I did have a little bit to tie me over but then miraculously I decided to start having lunches in my flat it was my then boyfriend now husband's idea have a little tuna salad cheese you can't cook he said and have eight people around the table so I did it every Tuesday and every Thursday had eight people at my table salad and cheese afterwards and inexpensive non-head making wine and uh, I had anybody that I used to have on the programme I used to produce for 10 years any questions for BBC Radio 4 I had John Burt I had Tony Blair I had my mother I had friends I had people from business from charities and I loved it but of course it earned no money until one magical day the chairman of uh, a company called Argyle which owns Safeway Supermarkets the late Sir Alistair Grant said I meet so many people I've been to two or three of these can you do one for my board and off I was And you're going to hear a lot more from how that Off I Was story really, really did take off. Uh, Time for some music in the meantime. This is Dinah Washington and Baby Did You Hear. Your sweet is going to leave you, yes, yes, on the next payday. That was Dinah Washington and Baby Did You Hear. If you've been hearing earlier, Carol Stone is my business shaper today and she is the woman apparently with 50,000 people in her black book. It must be a very big black book these days. Um, you were talking about those lunches and you were saying you, know, you followed your interests, you followed the people that were interesting, you brought them together and then the magical moment, as you said, where actually someone said, can you help my board get connected? Mm-hmm. What made you sense it was a business? I mean, apart from him saying, I'll pay you some money to do this, how did you know it was replicable? Because actually... Not doing it for money and profit is one thing. Would you come meet people? That's interesting. Doing it in a more engineered fashion, that must have been different. It is. As soon as money enters it, people want to know how big the cashew nuts are if you're running a club or they want to know exactly what they're getting for their buck and quite rightly too. But I knew I could do it because I knew basically I liked people, which I think was my starting point. And secondly, I knew that I could be brave with my mix of people, didn't mind having people who are the top of the tree with people at the bottom of the tree and people from very different worlds because a lot of people at the top of the tree are quite isolated and it was a nice way to mix people. I had about eight round the table, sometimes ten I think, mostly eight and uh, he offered me, he said I'm going to give you eight for two lunches and I said to my mother, I said £800 for two lunches and she said do you have to pay for the food and I checked and I didn't, in fact I could even have it outside in a restaurant the lunch and when the contract came it was 8000 for two lunches <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought hello hello and maybe other good. people and there were and then, and then how did you find the other people or did they find uh, you as well? I, well I did some for the BBC on I think on Europe and on um, interest in Europe I did some for a water company quite really really commercial I did the Reader's Digest I did Camelot the National Lottery and what did they all think 
think they were getting from this? They thought they were getting a girl who was known because by then I'd started having a party for a thousand people Mm. every year and salons for a hundred people every week in my little flat. Uh, And so they knew I was someone that was good with a mix and that I, I could create an atmosphere that was an easy atmosphere that people took their hats off and just became their selves. And I think they liked that because, you know, these stiff, stilted meetings and I could just, sort of, I suppose, in a way, break the ice socially so that people enjoyed it. And really, really, you know, if ever there was a phrase that was true, it's not what you know, it's not, it's who you know, you really brought that to life. A little bit, although I did a debate at the Oxford Union, funnily enough, a year ago with um, people like Lord um, Butler and uh, Stephen Dorrell, etc. about it. it's who you know, not what you know. And I argued, we lost by six votes that that was the case. But my argument was it doesn't matter. Of course, education is important. I didn't go to university, but of course, education is important. But it's no good knowing what you know unless you have the ability to communicate it to others. Otherwise, it's buried treasure. That's what I really feel. Lots more coming up from my business shaper, Carol Stone, today. Ladies, travel in a couple of minutes. And before that, some words of wisdom for your business from our programme partners at Mishkondare. I'm Sonal Gandhi, and I'm a partner in the real estate group at Mishkondarea. I act for private clients and their companies when they're buying and selling or dealing otherwise with high-end properties, predominantly in the central London area. Communication plays a huge role in any transaction, business, property or otherwise. Property is emotional. It's people's homes. They want to know, even if nothing is happening, they want to know that you're on the case, that they're important, as important as all of your other clients that you've got, whether they're buying a million pound house or whether they're buying a quarter of a million pound house. It's letting the client know and updating the client at all times what is happening with their deal. Communication is undervalued. That one line email or that one phone call just to give an update It makes all the difference. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, every Saturday morning, 9 o'clock till 10 o'clock, bright and early. Uh, if it is indeed early for you on a Saturday, it's relatively early for most people. Uh, you will get to hear someone in the world of business being asked, hopefully, useful questions which they will answer in intelligent ways. Generally, that's what happens. You can hear some of the previous guests who have done just that um, on iTunes, if you fancy that. Or if you're in the mood, um, you can check out some interviews on cityam.com as well. Carol Stone is my business shaper today. She's the... Uh, Networker par extraordinaire, but also um, a lot more than that. Carol, you have a lot of interests in, or some specific interests rather, in the charity world. You give back a lot. Tell me a little bit about how you've ended up doing things in the not-for-profit world and why you've chosen the charities you've chosen. Well, again, it's rather haphazard more than than thought out. Uh, But my brother was two years older than me. And from really from the very early stage, he was obviously a child who didn't find life easy. He was angst. He was grisly. He was anxious and he couldn't communicate. And he really lived his life, his whole life between himself, my mother, my father and me. My father had been a boxer in the British Army. He was middle heavyweight champion of the British Army in India. And Dada was a very straightforward person and couldn't quite really understand Roger. My mother, who was really... I was devoted to her. I was lucky that she was a woman that really did take life by the scruff of the neck and she took the situation by the scruff of the neck. And his psychiatrist, who I had breakfast with last 
week in his 90th year said that Roger lived as good a life as he could have lived at the time he had it considering what he had because in his early 20s uh, he was diagnosed as suffering from paranoid schizophrenia so he was a tormented child and I think Roger taught me to bring together people who you wouldn't necessarily ever think of bringing together people who were as awkward as Roger and there's a girl who's about two years younger than me and we share the same birthday she lives in Southampton and I always now include that same friend because she was good when Roger was awkward she was one of the few people that would sit with him in a coffee bar and talk to him when he would tell her to you know, get out the way or throw a cup of tea over or whatever. She said, he's just not in a good mood today. And I got a lot of friends I would never have thought of. And yet I also, this was in the 60s. I'm very old, as you probably know. This was in the 60s. And Richard died in his 40s of a stroke. And I think there was no such thing as Sane Line. I'm a patron of Sane now, the mental health charity, which can you can ring up and get advice. Mama had nowhere to go. And I remember the first person we spoke to was the late Claire Rayner, who I'd had on at Woman's Hour, I think, on a programme. And she was so helpful. You need to speak to people and I think that's what made me feel that mental illness has always been a particular thing that I would like to try and do what I can. I'm a trustee of another another well, patron I think of a charity called Triumph Over Phobia. People who've got phobias or obsessive compulsive disorder it's like a slimming club we have groups all over the country that people can run by ex-sufferers who can talk to each other about what it's like and how we can perhaps get over our phobias. Hear more from my fascinating business shaper, Carol Stone. Time for some more music. This is BB Boogie from BB King. That was B.B. Boogie from B.B. King. Carol Stone's been talking about her own personal uh, journey and the reason why she's involved in the charities that she's involved in. I just want to take you back to 2007 because the, the business which is, has involved you putting people together for not 800 or even 8 or even £80, pounds, but £8,000 for a few lunches and so on, morphs into something else and you're approached by YouGov, the big polling business, and it's still, still going strong. Tell me what they asked you and why do you think they asked you what they asked you? Well, by 2007, I think I had become known, as I said, uh, for a person who brought people together, either a huge party of about a 1,000 people every Christmas or at my little flat in Covent Garden, I could squeeze in about 100 people every week. And it was not just the gay and amusing as the old Parisian salons. I like people who weren't gay and amusing but would appreciate people who are gay and amusing. So I liked all types from all walks of life, all stratas, top of the dogs and bottom dogs, as it were. And uh, I think that because of that, YouGov felt they had an online polling company company, a market research company, but wouldn't it be good to have a panel, not a scientific panel, but a panel of influential people who could perhaps do maybe answer rather more in-depth uh, subjects or more, more in-depth questions on things. And it was very seductive because what I'd been doing, I hadn't been clever enough to keep a note of the people who got together or made businesses or made relationships from my own networking. I didn't write a peep diary, which I, maybe I should have tried to do. Still so, can. It's not too late, Carol. <laughs> I still can. <laughs> but maybe I thought I can uh, actually have a think tank and ask people's views on things and um, 
I added a little extra. And when we formed it, I by then had 50,000 people in my contacts data book, by then electronic. And I formed a think tank around about 5,000 people. And I said to them, I, we will only ask you to do a, a survey once a month. It'll never be more than 10 minutes long. It'll be on a social or business issue. And um, uh, in addition, most times I'll do a debate around that very subject that you've answered questions on. And it seemed to take off. And and, and then you, in fact, you sold uh, a share of that business back to YouGov. How did it realise value? How did they quantify the value to broaden, well, indeed, the value of the company itself? Well, I, I'd like to sort of sound a bit more of a, a smart businesswoman than I am, but I didn't know much about it when I was offered. I said 27 years at the BBC and then as a sole trader on my own for so long. Um, and they said to me that you can have a percentage of the company and then we will, it'd be a joint venture, and then you have a put option that they will buy it from me uh, within three to five years. And I thought that was good. I was 65 at the time. I thought not many people are going to offer a 65-year-old woman a chance in business. I was very, very pleased. And uh, they offered me a multiple, and um, which was a good multiple. And so I did it. And I think in 2011, as I say, I got my, you know, got my, I sold my shares in that company back to YouGov. And it was very affable because at the end, uh, they said to me, would you like to stay on? Because, you know, we'd like you to stay on. And I now a chair of another think tank, which is uh, a rather unique think tank, which is linked with Cambridge University. So we've linked the polling company with the academia of Cambridge University the and the students of Cambridge University, where, again, we look at really public opinion worldwide. And it's very exciting. And suppose I suppose I'm a little bit of an ambassador and I chair the excellent advisory board of that. So I keep in enough. I work half the week and uh, it seems to work. It's uh, it seems to work as long as it works, you know. Oh, you're smiling, so it must be working. Final chat coming <laughs> up with Carol, um, plus playing a track from the Neil Cowley trio. That's coming up after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was the Neil Cowley trio and Slims, and in fact they're releasing a new album. Watch out for that. Carol is my business shaper just for a few more precious minutes. You have done so many things in your life, and and, and unusually some people sort of start early in the thing they're destined to do. And I suppose there's another school of thought that says you couldn't have done the things you did without the first 27 years, and I'm sure you would um, you would probably agree with that. You've written books, you're a counsellor, you've now got this business, you are very, very well-connected. In all of that noise and all of those people and all of those connections and that whizzy brain of yours, what do you find is the most satisfying part for you personally now as you look back? It's always been bringing people together. I remember when I was three or four years old thinking somebody somewhere knows the answer and if it's not me I can find someone that knows it and when I was a counsellor, I am a counsellor but not a counsellor in the sense of therapy I'm a counsellor with a charity called One Young World where we bring together young people in their 20s from all over the world to discuss issues of the day and uh, it's it's a very very, very pleased I am to be one uh, and I think that I believe so strongly that it's often the things you don't do in life that you regret more than the things that you do do but that don't necessarily work and they may fail I think if you can accept you may fail, it gives you the freedom 
to have a go at things. And I think that I always feel very sorry if I see people who say, even at my own parties, oh, I saw Michael Palin or I saw somebody else that they wanted to speak to, but I didn't like to. Have a go. The worst that can come is that someone will stub you and you're not going to marry them. When I joined the BBC at 21, they said in two years' time, you'll be established staff. I thought, 23, I'll be married. 35 years later, the first man ever, Mr Richard Lindley, the former Panorama television journalist, asked me to marry him. So I got married for the first time in 1957, uh, when I was 57, in 1999. Yeah, because you're not that old. But whenever I talk about business, people say it can happen. Anything can happen. What what the reason I bring people together is because you never know. Of course, that way madness lies because you'll never stop, but you never know. And I think that despair is when you lose hope. And I think when you've always got hope that there's something, it's how people react to what life throws at them. It's their attitude to the similar situation. Of course, we've all got different backgrounds, but you can still react in a way that will make bring out the best of it. Learn from what you've lost. Learn from what you're sad about, but you can move on. It's attitude in life. I feel so strongly about that. Have there been people, and there must have been many, just before I ask you your song choice, of the many people you have met, who has impressed you or left an indelible mark and I'm sure you'll say well everyone has in their own way if I was to prioritize if if you had to do that right now and say there were three people that have really made me think differently about my life who would they be I wish I could answer that I can't my mother was a most enlightened woman and in whose company I would always prefer to be than anybody else's because she had a calm outlook on life and yet she had a tough life in so many ways with my father much older uh, and not necessarily someone she might have married or had she had the chance to go to university had no money a brother who was mentally ill so I think she is the person on whom I would say that's the person I want to be like. My husband, who I really do feel, I learn a lot from him too. He's a very different man to me. I learn a lot from him. So I think that there's nobody, I'm not a hero worship. I don't have fans if only I could meet or not. I just, I meet people who I enjoy listening to, enjoy hearing what they had to say. But I don't think I've ever felt people that I, I get different things from different people. I, it's an awfully flabby answer, but I don't have anyone to say, that's the person I always think of, apart from my family. Wonderful. Just before I let you go, Carol, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? My song choice is a song from an all-black film called Cabin in the Sky. And I watched it with my husband, Richard. And when she breaks in to Here I Go Again, I'm falling in love with you, taking a chance on love. Beautiful. Carol, thank you so much for my business shape. But this is Taking a Chance on Love from Ethel Waters. Here I go again. I'm hearing trumpets blow again, all aglow again, taking a chance on love. Here I slide again, about to take that ride again, sorry That was the song choice of my business shaper, Carol Stone, a person who absolutely loved the difference in people, a wise person, many years doing so many different things, and someone who was genuinely interested in everyone and what they had to say and what she could learn. Do join me again, same time, same place, for another edition of Jazz Shapers. That's 9am next Saturday morning. Stay with us in the meantime here on Jazz FM. Coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mish Rea. It's business but it's personal.